You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Thank you for joining us on Easy's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. We have spoken many times to doctors at Pediatric Associates. They hold events year-round to help parents and children learn safe parenting, safe bike riding, safe swimming, and on and on. And they have been one of our go-tos when it comes to the pandemic and particularly its effect on children. Welcome, Dr. Mona Amin, board-certified pediatrician with Pediatric Associates. Thank you for talking to us. Thank you for having me again. It's such a pleasure. It, it really is. And I've got to tell you, you have recently started this whole series of Instagram Lives that you do every week with COVID Q&As. What prompted your doing that? Because they're fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. So we actually started this, I can't believe it, but in March of this year, it seems like I just started this, but I also turned to my staff and I was like, wow, I've been doing this for over four months now. But really it came from an understanding that families really wanted a space to come and ask questions real time about things related to the CDC guidelines, the AAP guidelines regarding children and COVID, right? So sometimes there's such nuanced answers or nuanced situations that parents find themselves in. So I help break down all of the rules, help break down best practices so that we can keep families safe, kids safe. And then also parents will read things or watch things in the news and be so confused. Like, what does this mean for children? And should I vaccinate my children? And what about this side effect? And what about this issue with MISC or something else happening with children in COVID? So I help break it all down as a pediatrician and a mother myself in just an easy to understand way. And it's really become a weekly community where people just feel supported. If you're feeling anxious about this pandemic, I really help reassure you on things that I see and why I'm feeling good or what I'm feeling not so good about. And I just really love doing it for our community of parents. That's wonderful. And people obviously love it. You know, having the opportunity to talk to you directly, answer their questions. And like you say, there are so many because we get so much different conflicting information when you talk about back to school, when you talk about masks, mm-hmm. when you talk about vaccination. So it's great to have someone who can get through that junk down to what is the truth. And I want to start with what are the questions that the parents are asking? One of the most common things is what can I do? Like what activities is safe for my child? What do I have to consider? You know, I want to take a trip somewhere. I want to meet with family members who may be vaccinated or unvaccinated. What are the best practices to be able to do these activities or can I do these activities? That would be the number one question that I get. And then also about vaccination and what's happening with the COVID vaccine timeline for children. As you may know, the children 5 to 11 are hopefully going to get authorized this vaccine by the end of the month, probably early next month. And so parents have questions about the data regarding that Pfizer trial. When is it going to be available? Should I vaccinate my child? Is it too soon to vaccinate them? So everyone just wants to make the best decisions for their family. And I also understand that. So it's just a great way to give all that information, like you said, in a way that people really need to be told, right? Because I feel like sometimes 
you watch the media and it's just one little thing and you're like, wait, but what is, how does that apply to my five-year-old with X, Y, and Z? What about this situation or this particular incident? It just really helps to bring it all together. And it's really, like I said, become a very amazing community. I enjoy it. You would be surprised because I talk about this all day at work and, you know, this is my life, but I feel like it's helping so many people. And it just gives me an opportunity to really just reassure hundreds of people every week on what's happening with COVID and how we can navigate our lives and kind of continue our lives with being a parent in a pandemic. Yeah, there are so many things to be concerned about. Also, the emotional aspect of what, Mm -hmm. how the pandemic is affecting people. But I want to start with a couple of little facts. For example, school and masking. We have conflicting information up until any day now, any week now, there has not even been a vaccine available for kids 5 to 11. Should they be masking? Absolutely. We have to remember that masking is the single simplest thing that we can do to protect others against respiratory viruses. So we talk about COVID, but think about all the other viruses out there right now. Flu is going to be out there soon, RSV, common colds. I mean, these are transmitted by respiratory droplets, meaning you cough or you sneeze and it goes into your hand or your arm and that touches other surfaces, right? So masking is going to really help reduce the spread of COVID and other respiratory viruses as well. And in this pandemic, like you said, it's the single simplest thing that we can do for ourselves when we are in an indoor crowded place, but also for our children who are not yet vaccinated. And one of the common things I get asked in my lives is, you know, are we going to have to mask forever? When (laughs) do you think think that at some point, if the kids all get vaccinated, will they have to mask? And we'll have to see what happens when children do get vaccinated, especially our school-age children, what the numbers look like. But I am optimistic that at obviously some point in the next year, we are going to be able to take off those masks in a school setting. But we don't want to do it early and then we spread COVID throughout a, you know, a childcare facility or an elementary school or a high school or junior high, because we really want to reduce the chances of people getting this virus. Mm -hmm. And until more children can get vaccinated, it is the step that we can take to say, you know what? I want children to be in school. I want them to be around their peers. I want them to enjoy a normal child life and wearing a piece of fabric on their face still allows them to do all of these activities with risk reduction in mind. Is there a way to be sure that the kids are comfortable? Is it a good idea for kids to bring extra masks and just switch them out during the day? Does that help? I think a lot of it can be, it gets itchy, right? Um, Meaning it just gets sweaty and itchy underneath. So the most important thing is finding a mask that is most comfortable for that child and that they'll wear. So we talk so much about, well, what's the best mask? The best mask is the mask that a child will wear and finds comfortable. Of course, you don't want it to be an open weave where there's like holes in the middle that someone stitched together and it's like too loose. But you want to find the most comfortable one. And then, yes, having them pack two or three extra because just say they go outside and play and now their face is sweaty and then they put on a mask and then that mask gets a little bit sweaty and it's going to start itching. So having a fresh one is not going to hurt and it can increase compliance of wanting to wear it. But I also agree that masking is really hard outdoors, right? We live in Florida where it gets very hot, still very humid in October. And I agree that it is very difficult, in my opinion, to wear a mask outdoors for long periods of time. So we talk about obviously indoors being a priority. Outdoors, if you're not in face-to-face contact where you're like directly breathing on everyone for like hours on end, like playing 
football or something, mm-hmm. fine. But if you're like in the playground, you don't really need the outdoor mask, right? The masking is highly needed indoors and in an outdoor setting where you're not able to keep distance, right? Where you are going to be face to face with another person for more than 20 minutes, that same contact, right? right. Um, So it's okay for us to take off those masks when they want to play outside. We also have to think, well, what's the activity outside? Are they just running around and playing tag? That's fine. Are they playing football? That's a lot of contact face-to-face or wrestling or something like that. But it is okay to think about those things. But understanding that the benefit is there of just reducing the spread of respiratory illnesses. Okay. Now, Halloween is coming up. I know that going door to door is not so much of a thing as it used to be. It's turned more into block parties or parties Mm -hmm. at malls and kids are wearing masks anyway. (laughs) Um, Exactly. (laughs) Often, but not always. And let's say you do have a neighborhood where you can go door to door. Do you have to be concerned about who's opening the door? Should people opening their doors be wearing masks? To wear? Everybody's going to dress as a doctor this year. You know? Exactly. <laughs> Doctors, superheroes. You know, the, the beauty of a Halloween, like you said, is that so many costumes involve masks, which I think is really cool. And so I think just for, again, risk reduction and just getting into the festivities of everything, masking would be great, right? This is what the CDC is actually also recommending to mask, do small groups, and avoid crowded indoor Halloween parties. So again, this is what we've been kind of saying for a long time with all activities, crowded indoor. So that means like a big party where everyone is breathing on each other. You know, that's obviously going to increase risk because you don't know everyone's vaccination status, right? Mm -hmm. Now, just say it is a family of, you know, two families, three families getting together where all of the adults are vaccinated, right? The families have a discussion on what they're comfortable with. Then those families, knowing that the adults are vaccinated and all children who are age eligible are, they can decide if they do masks or not. If it's a family that you know the vaccination status, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The concern comes because of strangers, right? You don't know, you're not going to ask, So now masking is going to really help if you're doing trick-or-treating, right? Mm -hmm. If you're giving out candy as a person who's giving out the candy, having a mask on just so that almost like a, you know, part of your costume and also the trick-or-treaters. Remember, it's age-appropriate and developmentally appropriate. Anyone who's able to should wear a mask because I understand that some children are developmentally not able to. So we have to do our part so that everyone can enjoy, right? The children under two, if they want to go with their parent trick-or-treating. The child who's not able to wear a mask because of autism, because of texture, sensory issues, right? We have to understand that they're still entitled to go trick-or-treating. And the more we all can do our part by wearing a mask, vaccinating, I do think we can have an outdoor safe Halloween where it can look very typical to years past uh, where we can go trick-or-treating. And another thing is rather than having the kids all reach into the same bucket of candy, another tip that I say is maybe having the person who's giving out the candy put it into little pre-packaged bags so that way they can just hand out those bags versus a bunch of kids touching the same pot of candy will just help reduce transmission of other illnesses as well. Great idea. Now, when COVID first came out, the original mutation that was here, it didn't seem to affect children so much. The Delta variant has been a whole different story, and I don't know if it's because children are more susceptible or because adults have already been vaccinated that we've seen more younger people, young adults and children getting the Delta variant of COVID. Do we know why? Does it matter why? Or is the most important thing just to be protected? 
This is such a great question, and we don't know why exactly, but just speaking about variants and how contagious this Delta variant is, it's not surprising that children would be the ones who are now getting this. Talk, they make about 27% of all COVID cases in the country right now are children. So more than, yeah, more than a fourth. Now, it's not surprising for so many reasons. One, this variant is more contagious. So when you have a more contagious variant, it is going to go to everyone who is unvaccinated um, because they're not protected, right? And now families are doing more activities with their children. Maybe some families who are vaccinated are taking their children out, or even if they're not vaccinated, they're taking their children out. And so, you know, children are in school. in childcare settings, the virus is circulating more amongst children because of the fact that they are unvaccinated. I want to briefly talk about why variants happen because I think it's an important distinction. So people sometimes will say, well, it's because of vaccination that the variants exist, meaning if we never vaccinated anyone, variants wouldn't occur. But variants actually existed before the vaccine started going into arms. We started seeing variants of a virus well before a vaccine was created. And what happens is variants, they happen when a virus infects a unvaccinated host and it mutates and it mutates to become stronger. It mutates to infect more people or it mutates to survive and infect. That's the role of a virus. A virus wants to have a host and unfortunately human beings are their hosts. So they will change their makeup. They will change what they need to do so that they can get to another host. What that means is sometimes it doesn't work. What that means is sometimes it becomes the Delta variant. What it means is that sometimes it's going to infect more people. So vaccination is going to help reduce the chance of variants because the more people that are vaccinated, the less places this virus has to go to mutate. So that is kind of why people are preaching vaccination and why we are seeing our children get it more. And thankfully, it's not that the Delta variant is more severe for children and that they are get like all the children are getting more severe illness. It's that more children are getting it. Right. So when more children get it, of course, you're going to see a higher number of children get hospitalized. But when you look at the percentages, the percentages of hospitalization is actually still stable to what we've been seeing anywhere from 1.9 to 2.5%. And that's been pretty stable the entire pandemic since everything opened up last spring. So that is reassuring to see. But of course, we are seeing high volume now because of the fact that more kids are getting this. So that will mean subsequently more kids can get hospitalized. Another reason why we want vaccination, another reason why we want parents to mask their children if they're developmentally able to, because that's going to help reduce the chances that this gets to a child who may have a complication from COVID-19. Okay, let's talk vaccination. As a pediatrician, someone brings their child to you for the first time and you Mm -hmm. set out a schedule of care. And I believe that schedule of care includes certain immunizations at certain ages and children come for vaccinations every year before school starts. And we all grew up with this and none of us turned into 12 headed monsters. And then suddenly the, oh, vaccines caused autism concept came up, which is not true either. And there are still people who believe that. So how do you get people to reckon that they take their children for all the other vaccines for polio, which no longer exists, for mumps, for measles, rubella, all these things that vaccinations wiped out? And yet they look at this vaccine and say, oh, no, I can't have it. How do you put the two together and say, why are these two things different? And then explain that, yes, the vaccine is okay. 
This is such a great question. So first I want to recognize why a parent may be having a reservation about this, like why they may be feeling this way. What is it about this vaccine compared to other vaccines that is concerning you? Because I think that is a good place to start. Maybe a parent will say it's too new. Maybe a parent will say, well, children are not as high risk for complications because the reason is important to guide the conversation, right? Ah, because it may okay. be it may be a completely different reason than another family I'm having a conversation with. So let's just say it is the it's too new conversation. First, I want to recognize that I'm a mom too, and many of the pediatricians that you'll go in to see are parents or have children in their lives that they love, right? And our job as pediatricians is to keep kids healthy and out of our offices besides just for checkups. That's really all I want to see your kid for is checkups. Of course, I'm happy to see you for a sick visit, but our goal is preventative medicine. Our goal is to keep kids healthy so that they can live their lives and go play with their friends. So I first want parents to recognize that we as a medical community and as pediatricians and as parents ourselves really have the best interest at heart for our children. And that includes looking at the data for vaccination. And it's not too soon because of the 6 billion plus people in the world who've gotten the COVID-19 vaccine already. And then you look at the children above 12 who've gotten the COVID vaccine. And now the children 5 to 11 will probably get it authorized. We are seeing safety and efficacy across all age groups. And even in the trial itself, we are seeing safety and efficacy. And these are very important concepts. I really want to remind families that all across the world, we are looking at the data every day, every every trial is checking in with the families, making sure everything's okay. These are checks and balances that exist to reassure us that we are comfortable getting it for our own children, that we are comfortable getting it for ourselves, and that we trust it enough to have you get it for your family. And then the other comment was, well, if a family says, well, kids are not as high risk. Vaccinations are part of a public health plan in that everyone gets vaccinated to protect everyone else, right? So even though we may not be high risk for something, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't get vaccinated because we're going to protect people who are not able to get vaccinated, right. babies, or protect people who are older who may have quicker waning immunity. Grandpa and grandma may get the COVID vaccine, but their immunity may wane quicker than ours because they're older. Their immune systems are not as robust. So by vaccinating, we're helping reduce the chance of breakthrough infections for our elderly grandparents. And also, there are children that get hospitalized. There are children that get severe complications. You know, I know it's 2.5% hospitalization, but it's still 2.5%. Those are lives that are missing school. Those are lives that have to now, parents have to pay healthcare bills. Those are lives that parents are wondering what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's really important to remember that even though children are not dying in large numbers from this virus, I don't want any child to die from this virus, nor do I want a child to be hospitalized against something that we can prevent against. And so we look at that as a benefit versus risk situation. And when you look at the risk of a vaccine, common side effects, you know, um, soreness in the leg or soreness in the arm, some body aches and fever. These are short-lived side effects mm -hmm. when the alternative is you know that you are now protected greatly against this virus that can possibly cause complications. Okay. You know, I could go on literally for hours asking you questions. Oh, me too. <laughs> I know. But instead, I'm going to send people to watch you every Thursday evening, eight o'clock, live on Instagram at... P.E.D. Associates, short for Pediatric Associates. And then you later post them on Facebook. So a couple weeks down the road, you can watch them anyway. And part of the reason I'm saying let's hold off for now 
not only to leave questions for the audience, but because things change so quickly, Mm -hmm. we can talk about something today and by three days from now, something different has come up. And this way we can come back and revisit this on a regular basis, the same as you're doing with the weekly videos and address these things as they change. Absolutely. That is exactly why we do these lives, because of the ever-changing status of a pandemic. Okay. It's Dr. Mona Amin. You can watch her every Thursday, 8 p.m. live on Instagram at PED Associates or the Facebook page, Pediatric Associates. Any questions you have, this is open to the public. It's free. She gives of her time freely and generously and truly is a gift to our community. I thank you so much for taking your time out of your busy day to talk to us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to join you. Likewise. Joining us now for a big event that's happening today, I'm very happy to welcome the Vice President of Marketing for the Humane Society of Broward County, Sherry Wachter. Sherry, good morning. How are you? Good morning, and thank you for having me on. Well, you have excitement happening at the Humane Society of Broward today. It's the annual Blessing of the Animals. You know, my heart just gets bigger every time I hear about that. Do you want to explain, first of all, why you do it and what exactly will be happening? Sure. So the Blessing of the Animals has been taking place here at the Humane Society of Broward County. Well, let's see. I've been here 25 years, and I can honestly say it's been going on that long. Wow. I believe last year we did not hold the blessing because of COVID, but we will be hosting it again. And this is a time for families with pets to bring them to the shelter. The blessing actually takes place outside. You can bring your pets to the shelter where they will be blessed. It is in recognition of the Feast of St. Francis, who is the patron saint of animals, and the blessing will be held by the Franciscan friars of the parish of St. Francis and Clare. And they have been performing the blessing for 25 years. Beautiful Ah. ceremony, and pets of all sizes are welcome. It's important to remember that they must be on a leash or in a secure carrier. And please don't bring retractable leashes because we don't want them to get twisted around people's legs. Ah, yes. And I know this is really done in some part for the parents of the animals so that they feel that their pets are blessed. Do you think the pets get any sense that this is for them? Um, You know, I have been to many of the blessings and I have taken photos over the years and I can honestly say that yes, I do think that the pets know that this is for them. When the Franciscan friars go over to each animal and bless them, I mean, look, don't get me wrong, sometimes these big dogs jump up on them and they're like, let's play. (laughs) But uh, for other animals, sometimes people bring their animals that are getting up in age, they might not be as spry, they can't walk as well. And the look on their faces when they're blessed uh, by the friars, it's just, it's, it's, it's heartwarming. Well, I am sure that the friars do everything with love as St. Francis had for the animals. And without question, animals can sense good people, bad people when someone cares about them. You can tell how an animal is treated based on the animal's demeanor. So this is today from 3 to 3.30. There's no charge. And I love that you even have a setup for people with any sort of special needs that they'll do a second blessing in the parking lot at 3.30. Correct. So the blessing will take place in our memorial garden, which is at the far east side of the building. There is a step there. So there's a 
pathway. And if you do have special needs, Father Joe will do the second blessing, the same similar area, but in the parking lot afterwards. So again, folks are welcome to bring their pets. We do ask that the pets are cats or rabbits, or we have a lizard, guinea pigs, <laughs> things of that nature. They come in a secure carrier. Dogs must be on a leash, and we do ask that now retractable leashes. Okay. If your pet is in a stroller, that's fine, too. Now, are people welcome to come in and take a look through the animals that are available for adoption, or do you still need to make appointments for that? The dog area is open currently. But we do ask, like, if you're coming for the blessing and you still want to come look at the animals, that you bring a friend with you so that they can watch your pet. Um, you can't walk through the kennel areas with your animals. Okay. Now, we have Halloween three weeks from today, a Sunday night, and there are so many dangers, really, for pets, particularly cats and particularly black cats during Halloween. There's that old myth that continues year after year that black cats are, you know, bad luck. So what should people be wary of preparing for Halloween? Yes, Halloween is around the corner. And I know that there's going to be many trick-or-treaters out this year because I think last year there was very few activities for them. I think it's important to remember that if you want to include your pet, primarily your dog, I would think, in your holiday festivities and you want to get them a costume, it's important to remember, you know, maybe try the costume on a couple times prior to Halloween. Don't just put it on the day of Halloween. Get your dog used to it. If your dog is social and likes to go out, sure, your dog can accompany you while you take the kids trick-or-treating. But you want to be able to make sure that your dog can walk comfortably and that their vision isn't covered. Like if it has a hat of some sort or a hoodie that goes over top, that the dog is not blocking the dog's vision. That's really important. If your dog is nervous around crowds, don't take them out trick-or-treating. It's just going to be too much for them. The safest place for your dog is inside your house in a quiet room. Of course, like I said, if you get the costume, you want to take some pictures of the dog with the kids or with you before the festivities begin, that's great. But if your dog is uncomfortable in a costume, don't force them to wear it. That's really important. Another thing is the treats that all the kids are going to be bringing home. Make sure you put those treats up in a safe place so that your dog doesn't get into the chocolate. Chocolate can be toxic to the dog. And the last thing you want to do is spend Halloween at the emergency hospital, you know, having your dog's stomach pumped. So keep those away. Jack-o'-lanterns and candles. I would recommend you can purchase those flameless candles. You turn the battery on and then the pumpkin would light up. Use those in lieu of lit candles. You don't want your dog to be curious, knock the pumpkin over, and then you have a fire. Or your so, cat, no, known for knocking Ooh. things over. <laughs> true, very true. I do think most uh, jack-o'-lanterns will be outside. I don't know if there's maybe some neighborhood cats that are curious. Um then again, we don't want the neighborhood raccoon to come over and eat the pumpkin while there's oh, a candle in it. So, you know, I would rec strongly recommend the flameless candles and you just, you know, you don't have to worry about blowing it out before you go to bed. Okay. And the same uh, thing for, you know, if, if you're having a party indoors, that's where I was really thinking about the cats getting into trouble or causing trouble, knocking things over. If you're having indoor parties or decorating inside the house. Yes, it's important. If you are having people over, you know, put your pets in a safe room, quiet, away from all the crowds. Give them some extra cat if you're for your kitty cat, maybe some chew toys for your dogs, just so they're not with the front door being open and closed a lot. You, the last thing you want to do is have your, your pet escape, and then you have to spend the night looking for a lost pet on Halloween. All right. Anything else we need to be concerned? Put the candy away and um, 
again, if your pet is not comfortable, primarily your dog, I would think, in crowds and you're going to take the kids trick-or-treating, leave your pet at home. Okay. Take the pictures before you go. Keep them in a safe space. Make sure if you are going trick-or-treating with your pet, make sure they have their collar with an ID tag on that has your phone number. An ID tag with just your pet's name is not going to reunite you with your pet if they get lost. So I can't stress enough the importance of an ID tag with a phone number. We can make ID tags here at the Humane Society of Broward County, our pet boutique, and we are open seven days a week. So you can stop by anytime after 11 a.m. and we can make you an ID tag. Right on the spot or do you have to order it and then come back? Right on the spot. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And you've got three weeks to go. Plenty of time to get your ID tags. And while you're there, you can probably sign up for these school camps. There are days off school coming up and you've got special camp days for the kids. And this is one of the most fun things. Is. So we have Bernie's day off from school camps. Bernie is one of our H education dogs, adorable fellow who loves to sit with the children. Um, these are on specific days when schools are closed for different reasons. So the first one coming up is October 20th, and this is for kids aged 7 to 12. They're invited to join us for a day of fun, tail wags and purrs. It takes place from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. The cost is $65 for the day, and that includes a pizza lunch and a special dessert. So I know that the kids that have come in the past, they absolutely love it. Typically, they end up signing up for our week-long summer camps that we have. Right. But this is a great way to test the waters to see if you want to come to camp here. Uh, Again, the first date is October 20th, and then the next one would be November 22nd, and then again on November 23rd. Camp fills up quickly, so don't wait to sign up. And how can Um, someone do that online, or do they have to call? They can do that online. You can visit our website. It's humanebroward.com. If you want to go right to that page, you would go to humanebroward.com forward slash kids dash camps. Are you going to be doing winter break camps again? Yeah, we'll be back uh, in... Well, winter for Florida, yes. Uh, (laughs) Those would be December 20th, 21st, and the 29th. You can sign up for those as well. Okay. And I have to ask you, I know that the Humane Society of Broward was transporting animals from Louisiana, where Hurricane Ida had devastated the shelters there, or bringing them in advance to be sure they would be safe. How are you doing with getting them adopted out? Do you still, I mean, I know you always need new pet moms and dads, but how are the animals from Hurricane Ida doing? So they're doing quite well. Many of them have been adopted, which is great, which allows us then to be able to go back and help the shelters more. If you're looking for, I would say, medium to larger size dogs, we have a lot of great dogs looking for homes. There are some really great dogs that, you know, for no fault of their own, they end up at the shelter, whether they were astray and their owner never bothered to pick them up or they were surrendered because their family could no longer take care of them. Yeah. There are some really sweet dogs that we have available. One of the dogs in particular that I'm partial to, I would say, there's Tundra. She is a beautiful brindle dog. She has two different colored eyes. Sweet. Uh, I had her out in the exercise area the other day and she jumped up on the bench and just sat behind me and mm. just wanted to give kisses. And then we have Lily, who is a blonde colored mixed breed. She's a bigger girl. She's 80 pounds almost. She's six years old. And Lily, her tongue hangs out all the time. <laughs> okay. All the time. So okay. just two of the sweetest, cutest dogs. 
that are up for adoption right now. Okay, and of course, you can always check our Pet of the Week on our website at easy931miami.com. I encourage our listeners to visit the Humane Society just west of I-95. It's 2070 Griffin Road. If you've never been, you need to stop by anyway. The boutique is amazing. You could take care of all of your holiday shopping in one day. Today, 3 o'clock, the blessing of the animals. Remember, there's safety tips for Halloween. And then, of course, there are the Bernie's Day Off from school camps. And while you're there, you can register. You can find everything online at humanebroward.com. Sherry Wachter, 25 years with the Humane Society of Broward County. Thank you for all you do to take care of the animals. Well, thank you. And thank you for your continued support providing the Pets of the Week to you. I know there's many of your listeners that have visited the shelter and adopted. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners who have adopted. I know you can vouch for the joy that pets can bring into your home. I also want to thank Sandra for writing a lovely letter about community focus. I do appreciate you listening. If you have comments or would like to suggest a topic, email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join me again next Sunday for a new edition of Easy's Community Focus, 650 right here on Easy 93.1. Have a wonderful day. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.